You ready for this? Keep me moving full steam. <laughs> I just started rapping into Galactic. The Germans and they're in trouble. Alcantara couldn't do it. Lineker probably could. And he got equalised. It's Gary Welcome everybody to the Final Countdown, a podcast looking back at great finals within the game of football. I am Lewis here with my co-host Adam. Hello. And it is your turn this week, Adam, to hit us with a an absolute doozy. So what is it? It is an absolute doozy. The 1954 World Cup Final, uh, often listed or remembered as one of the greatest matches in World Cup history, which I was surprised by. I knew bits about this. Yeah, I mean, I know the headlines more yeah, than the content. but I so. didn't know that kind of weight to it. So, Lou, what do you know about the 54 World Cup? Uh, pretty much only the Mighty Magyars, the Hungarian national team, who uh, give me a bit of a tactics semi, uh, as well as <laughs> having... Oh, mate, it's going to be a arousal central in well, here. I, I cannot wait, because the Mighty Magyars are one of those things, I guess, even to a degree, somebody my age, where I never saw Maradona in the flesh in live TV. I was a little bit too young. But you hear about... Cruyff, Maradona, Pele, and they represent this like this history that never happened in terms of I herald them as these incredible players having never really watched them. Obviously with YouTube and things like yeah. that, you can go back and research now, but the Mighty Magus hold that kind of mythical place where yeah. I've I've never seen them play, but I've read up about them loads, I've heard about them, and I know that them not winning was uh, daylight robbery for yeah, this and yeah. you could make an argument that them and probably Holland are the two greatest teams who have never won the World Cup very good um, yeah. that's my little that's everything I know about the 54 yeah. World Cup the Mighty Magyars yeah absolutely so Hungary were basically the world's best team yeah like without a shadow of a doubt and we'll get into that in a second but they came up against what you and I grew up knowing which was a Germany team that won't quit it's it's depressing that even back in 1954 that was the case well it began this is the kind of the beginning of the germany that world football came to know yeah um for what happened in this world cup so let let me set the stage um uh, just a disclaimer at the end of last week's episode i said the battle of Bern. the final was known as the miracle of Bern. is that right the battle of Bern is a different thing which i'll get into in a second oh i think Okay, when we get into it, ask me what I know, because I've got a couple of guesses. Okay, fine. Right, it's a little, little bit later on. So anyway, the, the final itself, the game was played, and let's just get this out of the way now and deal with it in our childish schoolboy ways, okay? The game, the final, was played at the Wankdorf Stadium. <laughs> now, why would you expect a reaction to that, Adam? Because there's no way around it, mate. If we don't say something about it... <laughs> the Wankdorf Stadium! Like, how is that... St- it's not called that anymore, apparently. Is that right? No, it's called the Swiss something or other. See... As I don't know loads about uh, World Cup history in this sense, but I do know that the Wankdorf, up until recently then, uh, was the home of the team Young Boys. Yes. Now, I'm not going to touch that because... I well, wouldn't touch that, no. <laughs> Even that you was... get terrible. you arrested, mate. <laughs> so, yeah, okay, I'm glad that you brought it out because at least we can get 
we just gonna have a bad. I, I mean, I don't mention now. it loads of times, but you just sure. you have to mention okay, it. Like, yeah. who was in charge of that decision? Because there must be branding where you go. Oh, it's fine in our language, but is that like a different well, I guess word? Not in, the fi- one? not in the fifties. No, maybe not. It's not just that. It's not the fact that it was just called that. It was then the decision to play it at that stadium, sure, the final, yeah. like with the world's like oh, eyes watching the yeah. Wankdorf Stadium in Bern, Switzerland. Uh, which I might add is the only major tournament Switzerland's ever hosted. Well, maybe they were it too was, embarrassed. This was their moment. <laughs> it's like when you do a speech and you have to give somebody words to slip in without anyone recognising. Exactly that, Dragon yeah. Switzerland were like, look, yeah. we'll call it the Wankdorf. We'll see if anyone knows. See if we get away with yeah, it. Yeah, see if we get away with it. I know, you never guess what's happened. FIFA have chosen the Wankdorf <laughs> as the final. <laughs> Stay quiet. I was about to say, stay quite Roger, as if Roger Federer was the, Rog. the, the Swiss... Minding his own business. Operating committee. He's basically the ambassador from Switzerland to the he rest is. of the world, isn't he? He was oh, the only Rog. Swiss man I know or want to know. Anyway, oh, that's a totally different thing. Anyway, on the 4th of July, 1954, in Bern in Switzerland, West Germany played the heavily favoured uh, Mighty Maggies, as you called them, or the Golden Team, oh. as they were also known, of Hungary. Uh, and Hungary, as I said, were, were the team... Um, which everybody expected to win the final, but they lost the final. And I'll say that now because it sets it up better. They lost the final 3-2 to Germany. The win earned Germany its first of four World Cups. And as I said earlier, started the the kind of, uh, I don't know, the reputation, if you like, of the German um, national team. The aura, the legacy. Especially in major tournaments, yeah. um, which kind of, they went on an incredible run um, from 66. Not so much the next two, which we'll get to. From 66 through to 1994, they never failed to get into the later stages of the World Cup. It's basic, give or take one or two, it's basically podium finishes, isn't it? For yeah. every World Cup. Oh yeah, definitely. Crazy. They were always there. They're always, you know, amongst the, the the top teams, which is incredible, really. I don't think any other team has had that kind of run. No, even Brazil, who obviously have won the World Cup the most times, I don't think they have anything like that consistency. No, not at all. No, they were, you know, they were either won it or they weren't really yeah, out of the yeah. races. Um, but anyway, let's set this up a little bit. Hungary's legendary golden team, also known as we said, the Mighty Maggies, was the favourite to win the '54 World Cup. In the five years prior to the final, it remained unbeaten in 31 matches. Oh my God. That uh, is astonishing, isn't it? Um, 32, if you count East Germany, which FIFA didn't recognise. Oh, they didn't recognise them, yeah. yeah. That's um, basically Serena Wiegmann levels of consistency, isn't it? It's crazy, that is, isn't that it? That is yeah, amazing. Absolutely. So 31 games unbeaten. Hungary were also the reigning Olympic champions and the winner <laughs> of the now defunct Central European International Cup. That's crazy. Uh, they which, were just winning everything they entered then. Yeah, basically. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, that was 53, so the year before. Uh, in 53, significantly as well, Hungary had defeated England 6-3 at Wembley. Quite a famous game. Um, becoming they, sorry, becoming the first team outside of the UK and Ireland to beat England at, at home. I feel like there was... A, did they batter us again? Like There was another game, I think. Yes, they did. They beat us 5-1 yeah. later that year, but yeah. that was in Hungary. Right, okay. Um, but yeah, the significant one was at Wembley because there was a fortress yeah. and it was Wembley Stadium. England just didn't lose there. Um, but they lost to Hungary and they lost embarrassingly so um, uh, to Pushkas and uh, we'll get to the rest of it. But Pushkas in particular scored hat-trick that day and dominated uh, England's kind of world-renowned uh, defensive lineup. Uh, so the, the players of the Hungarian national team were all full-time professionals, which wasn't necessarily a given. No, sure. A lot of the German team were semi-professionals, right? Um, which we'll come back to. But most played in Hungary, most played for the army club Budapest Honved or MTK Budapest, which in the 1950s was run by the Hungary's secret police. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> that's, that is a, a bit of trivia that I did not expect. I didn't want to miss that. Really I just thought that's brilliant. Like, yeah. that's that's absolutely a 1950s thing. So a football team run by the secret police was where a lot of the uh, team play. The uh, coach, Gustav Sibas, was also Hungary's deputy minister for sport. Oh, interesting. Just, I love you can double up on just that. Just doubling up. Yeah. Uh, together, him and the MTK coach, Martin Bukov, uh, they were credited with developing, here we go, Luke, with developing further the rigid WM formation that was standard in European football in the early 50s. So this is, a, you know, this will get you uh, going, mate. Innovations included pulling uh, the the left winger Hideguti, who was normally listed as a centre forward, back into midfield to create space for the inside forwards, mm. Pushkus and Kostis employing Botsic as deep-line playmaker with the other half-back, covering for Botsic. Like, so, so what's so amazing about what you've described there is that 70 years later, right. it's not that dissimilar to the formations and styles we play now, but that's how revolutionary it exactly was. Exactly what I was the idea yeah, of, yeah, yeah, inside forwards coming in from a deep-lying forward, like a Harry Kane dropping deeper so that Son and Kulisevsky can come yeah. either side. It's, it's what we do now, but... It was yeah, completely, years completely ahead of revolutionary. Amazing. Uh, like things like requesting fullbacks to assist in attack, wingers to assist in defence, introducing flexible positional play that created confusion among opponents, finding the right winger playing at left back, finding the left midfielder playing up front, because all it, that kind of stuff. Again, it was so much more like kind of, for want of a better phrase, it was almost like netball. People had their areas of the right. pitch and you stayed in those areas. Yeah. You were a defender and you Every stayed other there. team in world yeah. football had fixed roles and strict man marking and you knew who you were marking for the game. Amazing, isn't it? When um, you, th- you think about that, but it's crazy, also yeah. like, yeah, how it's not a surprise England were bent over by Hungary when yeah. you think, okay, I'm England's right back, I'm against their left winger. Oh, he's run into the centre forward position. Yeah. What do I do? Yeah, like, yeah. Do you follow amazing. him? Do yeah. You, yeah. Do you mark the space? Yeah, absolutely. So it was, you know, they were way ahead of their time, and it's no real surprise then that Hungary dominated like they did. Uh, in the years leading up to this, yeah. um, it was, you know, no one else played like this. No one else risked it or anything like that. Um, so then we had West Germany on the other side of it, it, almost completely different in the way that they set themselves up. Rigid, uh, defensively minded, mm-hmm. like everything about uh, you know German efficiency, all that kind of stuff. That's what this team was about. So the just interestingly to backpedal a little bit, the three German entities emerging from the Second World War, West Germany, East Germany and the Saar Prefectorate. Yeah, the Saar Dam or whatever it is, is the occupied Germany by the French, right? That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So they were um they were not admitted um to FIFA until late nineteen fifty, but they were recognised. Right, interesting. Uh, I never knew they had FIFA like FIFA recognised. Yeah. Them. Wow. So as a result, Germany missed the nineteen fifty World Cup, which we um uh, covered yeah. last week. So they weren't around West Germany or any of the uh, any of the three mm-hmm. um entities that were coming. Uh, but prior to the nineteen fifty four tournament, West Germany had played, therefore, only a few friendly internationals and a short qualifying campaign against Norway and the Saar. Ah, okay. So they barely played. Yeah. So especially in the age of not, you know, being covered by television mm. and all the rest of it, no one knew anything yeah, about West Germany. Unknowns. Like it was, it was so weird. Like yeah. you know, to have this kind of major footballing nation that you and I would recognise, but everyone was like, "What are they like then?" Yeah, Just especially I guess because of the real life upheaval in the kind of decade earlier. Exactly, exactly that. So, and this played into the hands a little bit of the way that West Germany went about this tournament, and in particular their manager Herberger. 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 Um, the lack of international exposure left both national and foreign observers completely unclear about the quality of the German team. That's amazing that even their own press didn't Yeah, know. yeah, that is crazy. I hadn't even thought Just about that internally no that you wouldn't necessarily have the coverage. Exactly. Um, you'll love this, Louis. Uh, Herberger advocated clear roles in defence, permanent positional um, switches in attack, dubbed the Herberger Whirl. <laughs> 
Uh, I think the branding could be worked on a little bit, but I do like the fact that he has his own identity. The Herberger world. Yeah, it's good stuff, isn't it? So anyway, that's the kind of setup of the two teams that ended up meeting in the final. And it, it would be very amiss of me to kind of, uh, remiss of me to just jump to the final. Um, because what happened in the group stages is so significant for how the final played out. So let me just quickly cover that. Hungary and West Germany were drawn in the same group. Oh, okay. So, so they, they the, met previously. Yeah, so the final ended up being, was also, again, it wasn't the first group game, but it was in the group game. Yeah. So Hungary opened their World Cup uh, with a 9-0 win over South Korea. Wow. They then played Germany and they beat them 8-3. <laughs> This is astonishing, considering what happens later on. That is amazing. Yeah. So, on the face of it, if you read the results, you think, well, blimey, how did Germany, you know, lose 8-3 and then two weeks later or three weeks later win the final? So, what isn't necessarily known, I didn't know this, is controversially, um, Herberger rested several key players and played others out of position. Uh, For example, Fritz Walter, who we'll come back to, is the the main kind of, you know, player for uh, Germany. He played him at central striker instead of playmaker. The main purpose that Herberger claimed was he was preserving energy for the upcoming decider. Essentially saying, we're going to lose to Hungary. I need to win the Turkey game. Which makes sense. Which is what what he claimed. However, by sparing his strongest 11, and this is what a lot of people claim in hindsight, by sparing a strongest 11, Herberger may have even obscured the real strength of the German team to its subsequent opponents, including Hungary. So again, no one saw the full strength of West Germany. Yeah. In the game, Puskas suffered an ankle hairline fracture from a foul by a German defender that made Puskas miss the quarter and the semi-final. Significant for the fact Puskas was Hungary's main player, but significantly in the quarterfinals, Hungary beat co-favourites Brazil, Runners up of the nineteen fifty World Cup came with a strong team. Came with a sense of we got to put right what yeah, went, sure. what went wrong. Um, but in Pushkas's absence, they still beat them four two. Wow, that's how strong the Mighty Magyars were. Absolutely mighty indeed. So, <laughs> so at this point, Lou, it's important to ask what do you what do you know about the Battle of Bern? Because this was the Battle of Bern. I want to say it's got the record for the most red cards in a World Cup game. Yep. I think. But I can't remember if it's three or four. It's three. Three red cards. Yeah. Like, it's not just, oh, it's a bit dirty. This is filthy. Well, I mean, that's completely what I know about. Right. Not necessarily that detail. but So there's an English referee involved. Arthur Ellis was the English referee. He said in later this was the worst and most violent game he'd ever been involved in. Wow. Uh, three sending offs, six bookings, and uh, violent conduct and fighting prompting uh, the English referee to constantly stop the game. Fighting between the teams then continued in the dressing room. Oh, I didn't realise there was after the as final well. whistle. You had uh, officials getting involved. You had the team. You had the staff of the 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 both uh, coaching teams getting involved. Incredibly violent game, and it was ended up being dubbed the Battle of Bern, yeah. not just for what happened on the pitch, but for what happened. I didn't realise it carried on afterwards. Yeah, all basically a brawl throughout. Basically, yeah, yeah. So crazy um, stuff going on. It was called the Battle of Bern, uh, but ultimately Hungary won through. Then they then uh, faced the world champions Uruguay in the semi-final, without Pushkas again, and beat them 4-2. They're just on a different plane of existence, aren't they? It definitely seemed that. So they reached the final. West Germany kind of, you know, they didn't smash anyone, but they reached the final Mm. on the other side of the draw. And they reached the final facing a team that they know they'd beaten 8-3, and they dismissed everybody else out of hand. Um, They they scored the most goals in a World Cup, um, obviously. Basically setting records left, right and centre. Yeah, exactly. And so they headed in um, to this World Cup final with... Just like, how can we not win this game? Uh, and as we head into the match, we'll find out how exactly they did not win the game. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! 
So as we head into the World Cup Final 54, there is a long-held belief in football writers and people that have written about this game, reported on this game, that everything seemed to work for the Germans in the lead-up to the final. Right, okay. I don't, you know, some people will go as far as to say there's some kind of curse or some kind of like just thing oh, wow. going on, but just everything seemed to work against Hungary, other than Pushkas coming back to fitness to play, but even then he had a hairline fracture. So yeah, I was about to say that doesn't heal. He's not going to be, yeah. yeah. So he's not going to be full fitness. But anyway, so let's just kind of go through these. Hungary semi-final against Uruguay was decided uh, only after extra time and the team missed the return bus from Lausanne <laughs> and had to organise private cars that arrived only late at night. Getting back to their team hotel at 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. It's a different world, isn't it? A totally different that world, now? yeah. So also, the evening before the finals... Sorry, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but I'm just, I'm just going back to that. Just the idea that a bus driver has gone... Well, I was booked for 7pm, but they haven't turned up. Well, so I'm going to be on my way. Like, I'm just going to leave a, private bus, a football mate. team. I think it's public transport. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. Is that the yeah. number seven? Oh, bollocks, oh, it's gone. Yeah. Can we run after him? Oh, I've just done extra time. I can't chase him down. Can we get any cars? Crazy. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. It Sorry, carry on. Um, so that's the semi. The evening before the final, a village fair took place <laughs> in front of the hotel that Hungary was staying in. And that lasted until the early morning hours and disrupted the player's sleep. Unreal. I mean, I don't know if a village fair is the right name for what was going on. No, clearly. But, but I just like the idea that Switzerland, with no like no horse in the race, has just decided, yeah. yeah, we'll set up that just outside that hotel. That's it, exactly. So, yeah. Whereas Germany stayed uh, in you know some quiet mountain you know hotel, which was completely undisturbed, completely by chance. Furthermore, Herberger's assistant, Albert Singh, checked into the uh, Hungarian hotel for the, the week before the final from where he reported about the Hungarian team preparations, training... He All knew the things what he they was were trying. trying. Completely legal then. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Like nowadays, you, you know, you get well, in trouble. Well, Marcelo Bielsa tries it. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. You get in trouble for that kind of thing, but not not back then. So, yeah, Albert Singh was, it, you know, filing reports back to Herberger about what Hungary were looking to do. Um, so then we get to that match itself. Even then, more things kind of play in hands. So some of this is a bit surreal, a bit weird. The match was played in heavy rain. Okay. Okay. Conditions that the German side had christened Fritz Walter weather. <laughs> You've got to be some special kind of player if you get right. a weather name that. So you. Germany's best player, Fritz Walter, was known for playing his best football in the wet. Wow. What a strange like yeah. thing to be known about. I mean, I've heard like Lewis Hamilton's good in the rain. <laughs> yeah, but there's something to that. Right. Not just like yeah. yeah. You can imagine Fritz in the tunnel. He's like, oh, it's raining. I love now's my Now's my That's time. That's my chance to shine. <laughs> <laughs> crazy yeah, anyway so there we go so Fritz Walter Weather was there in addition the German team was equipped with boots supplied this is interesting a bit a kind of fast forward into modern day football with boots supplied by Adidas oh of course yeah uh, that uh, hadn't featured until this point an unknown exchangeable screw in stud yeah um, so only the German team had this the Hungarian team didn't the boots could be adapted to any weather and different level of studs and all the rest of it stuff that you and I would know very well but enabling the West German players to wear their regular boots despite the adverse conditions so interestingly not it's tangential to what you've just said there but something I didn't put in my report last week is that FIFA only outlawed playing barefoot in 1944, wow. Wow. so they only changed that, which apparently was one of the reasons that India didn't uh, attend the World Cup. In right, I think I've, yeah, I think I've read yeah, so that. They, yeah, yeah. Is that FIFA only what ten years before had said, "Oh, you can't play barefoot." So yeah. that's how far behind in terms yeah, of yeah. technology and everything were. So this is groundbreaking. Yeah, I mean, it was no other team had this. Uh, Hungary, when it was rained, it was like, "Oh, get the rain boots out." <laughs> like, you just like, great. I've never worn these before. Yeah. Didn't fit. Blah blah blah. Whereas, you know, Fritz Walter and Co were there in their fresh Adidas World Cup. 
setups ready to go. So yeah, anyway, so we, we head into the game with that kind of context there. However, it didn't make any difference for the first 10 minutes. The first 10 minutes were what everybody thought was going to happen. Um, within six minutes, Pushkas had put his team ahead. Of course, yeah. Um, Kocic's block shot fell to Pushkas and he made no mistake from close range, 1-0. Uh, Seabor added a second goal for Hungary a mere two minutes le- oh, later, wow. exploiting a misunderstanding of the German defence and the game went exactly how people thought it was. Nine minutes gone, 2-0 to Hungary. It is even more incredible than that, that Germany managed to turn this around. Yeah. Because obviously we've spoken about how dominant Hungary were and everything, but and maybe how much they deserve to win it and how much they were the better team. But to score three goals against this Hungary team, like there is a validity to Germany's victory, surely. Totally, yeah. And also, I don't know if... I knew the scoreline, but I didn't know the context of how things played out in the rest of it. To go 2-0 down to the finest attacking team in the world and go... To have the mental, like, strength to go, we're going to come back from this. I mean, that's German all over, isn't it? Like, that's the Germany I know. Exactly. just... Frick me! Like, how do they not know they're be- not beaten? Yeah, at, th- at this point. But that is exactly how it was. So, incredibly, Fritz Walter. Three minutes later, so the twelfth minute, Fritz Walter dancing through the rain. I was about to say, clearly, the the rain came down heavier after nine minutes, <laughs> and he thought, "This is it." He played superpower. He played Ran free on the left wing, who crossed low and hard into the centre. Zakaris lunged for the ball, but could only deflect it forward. And uh, sorry, and forward Max Morlock who doesn't sound particularly German, Max no. Morlock converted from close range uh, to make it 2-1 eight minutes later. So before 20 minutes are played in this they World Cup final. They don't make him up easily. We no. found this with the Champions Leagues, didn't we? We did, with yeah. The early absolutely. Champions Leagues, very similar. So eight minutes later, Fritz Walter again swung in a corner, Ron Rose highest and bulleted a header home, home into the far post. 18 minutes gone and it was 2 all. Incredible stuff. Amazing. You got your money's worth if you went to that final. <laughs> Absolutely. So a, a few people kind of said that, uh, wrote about the fact that Hungary were a little bit like, whoa, what's happened? We were 2-0 up and now... Shell shot. You know, we're, you know, nil-nil lads. Like, yeah. we're, we're back we're back to the start again. Uh, and that kind of played out a little bit as the, uh, the first half played on. And in some ways, Germany, West Germany had a chance to kind of you know, make that momentum mm-hmm. count. Um, they had one cleared off the line and Ron's shot hit the post three minutes before half time. And it's easy to say, oh, you know, you know, that would have put the game to bed. But what happened in the second half maybe suggests that okay. wasn't true. But certainly West Germany could have gone in having gone 2-0 down in nine minutes to go in with the lead would have been incredible. You could say that nets were bulging everywhere in the Wankdorf Stadium 45 minutes in. Is that what you're saying to me, Ad? You had to say Wankdorf on one time. I realised we hadn't said it in about 10 minutes and I thought, we're wasting an opportunity here. We are. Absolutely. We're never going to say it again. So anyway, into the second half. So the headline of the second half is plain and simple. How Hungary didn't take the lead in the second half is beyond belief. Is this why they call it the miracle of Bern, basically? Every account I read is like what was going on with the West German goal. It was just, it led a charm life. <laughs> and I, I, I got a lot to cover, so I'm just literally going to sure. dot through. I think I remember doing this in a Man United game yeah, where it was yeah. just like chance after chance after chance. So two minutes after the restart, um, Botsic played in Pushkas free in the penalty box, but penalty box, but he fired the ball straight at Turek. In the 54th minute, Kolmeyer cleared twice on the goal line <laughs> from Toth. Three minutes later, Kotsic headed across by Toth against the crossbar, came back to Toth, he hit the post. 67th minute, Turek saved a uh, saved a shot by Pushkas with his foot, only for it to deflect off his foot onto the post. Oh, oh my god! In the 78th minute, here Guti should have scored, but his shot went into the side netting. And that's just the that, that's, that's just the ones yeah. like there were four or five other less close ones, but 
I mean, just in that little bit there, like off the line twice, crossbar, post, post, crossbar, and a side netting. The Germans somehow held on, and we come to the 84th minute, where it's still two all. And there's an element where you kind of think, would Hungary have been going like, how is it still two all? I, we can only compare it to our Sunday league level of football. Well, yeah, I mean, but there similar. Are, well, there are days when you just know it isn't for you. You know something is written in the stars, that, that something as strong as gravity is against you. It does and feel that way, yeah. Yeah, you, just, you think there is nothing we can do to put the ball in the back of the net. So the Germans held on, six minutes remaining, 84th minute. Ron picked up the, uh, picked up the ball in... You know, one of the very few times it had been in the Hungarian half in the second half. He picked up Lantos's short clearance, fainted a pass to centre forward Fritz Walter that wrong footed the Hungarian defenders. Everybody thought it was going to Fritz. It's a little bit in the last dance where they thought they were going to pass oh, yeah. to Michael Jordan. Yeah, yeah. And this is basically the same thing. Everybody covers Walter. Ron doesn't go that way. He dribbles into the penalty box, dro- drives the ball low and hard past the goalkeeper for the third Germany goal. Somehow, West Germany lead with uh, six minutes to go. And you kind of think, in the way that football works, they'll play it out. Yeah. No, no, my friend. Hungary the mighty, weren't The done. mighty Maggies weren't done. This is controversial. Two minutes later, Pushkas appears to have levelled the score once more when he converts a through ball from Toth, flicked on by Kotsic, but the attempt was ruled offside. Now, many people say Kotsic didn't touch the ball. Oh, wow. Okay. So, when Toth plays the ball through, Pushkas is on side. And then Kocic, uh, the linesman and the referee rule that he headed the ball on. There's a, a lot of controversy about it. Kocic claims he didn't head the ball on, but the goal is disallowed uh, for offside. Oh. And with that, the Mighty Magyar's unbeaten run of 31 games uh, was over and Germany had won their first World Cup. That is an astonishing match report. It is. We, we've sold it short in all of our matches so far. We've said, oh, the match is good, but it's really everything around it. But the match lives up to everything. This was, yeah, this is incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, so they weren't heading to extra time, Lou, but we will. Pizza Hut pan pizzas, unless I'm mistaken. Come on, Gareth, it only took me six years to get over it. Have some pan pizza. Okay, so immediately after the match, some of this is a bit weird and a bit strange, but for the time it was kind of normal, rumours emerged that the German team had taken performance-enhancing substances. I've never heard about this before. Yeah, nor had I, but it's quite widely reported. Several members of the team fell ill with jaundice in the days after the final, presumably from a contaminated needle. Okay. Members of the team later claimed, the West German team later claimed they had been injected with glucose. So they admitted they'd been injected with glucose. And the team physician said in 2004... Uh, when he was asked, let, about the, it. let the dust settle a little bit yeah, before yeah, they can yeah, take yeah. away the I'm title. Not, I'm not talking about it today. Not yeah. talking about it today. <laughs> 2004, that the players had actually been given vitamin C. Mm, right? Sure. You got that orange juice? No, no, no. Come over here. Yeah. I got a needle. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> anyway, a co author of a 2010 study conducted by the University of Leipzig hypothesized that the German players, unbeknown to them, may have been injected with a substance called pervitin. Uh, a stimulant given to soldiers in World War Two would have wow. been would have been illegal. Yeah, um, it, once FIFA introduced doping controls in 1966, this was 1954. Yeah. There were no so, doping controls whatsoever. So, despite the fact that these rumours were going around and they kind it of largely likely, yeah, they yeah. largely kind of said, yeah, we were injecting stuff. Yeah, but only for pride did they not admit what it was. Because there was no ramifications yeah, of course, for it at yeah, all. Yeah. So yeah, and, and I do believe that maybe the players didn't know that they were just given a boost. Yeah, and somebody absolutely. Higher up says, yeah. look, with a contaminated remember. needle. Yeah, that is so bad. So they did it back in '54. But anyway, so I thought it was really interesting. So they potentially, probably, 
uh, were illegally doping. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do about it. It's just... I mean... The was, Germans w- should be trying to help their reputation, shouldn't they? But, I mean, <laughs> this doesn't help it. It doesn't, though. No. It was another 12 years until FIFA went, oh, hang on, that might be illegal. Yeah. And sort that out. Anyway, the Hungarian government, in the aftermath of uh, Hungary losing a final they never thought they would lose, kind of went a little bit nuclear. They revoked players' privileges across the nation, such as, for instance, the, the approval of smuggling Western goods back into Hungary, which the oh, players really? have previously yeah. been allowed to do. Uh, they removed that. Grotzic, who some Hungarians blame for the third Germany goal, which is similar, similar to, to what Barbosa, we talked about in yeah. 50. Um, so Grotzic is the Hungarian keeper, I should have said. He was accused of espionage and treason. Oh, my God. Um, he was put temporarily on under house arrest and transferred against his will from Budapest Honved to the provincial, as in, like, village team yeah. uh, of FC Tatterborg. So he was basically sent to Siberia. Yeah. That is crazy. Yeah. And he, he, you know, he talked about the fact it was never said it was because of that. No, sure. But he was like, knew. I don't know what was going on in the years that followed after, yeah. you know, the final. He was basically almost excommunicated from his country. It's frightening, country. isn't it, that football back then had yeah. this effect and was able to literally ruin people's lives or change them dramatically yeah. at the very least. It, uh, what I find amazing is that the world was just out of a Second World War mm. that mattered. Yeah. It, yeah, like that's right. the stuff that matters. This is just football. It's yeah. just crazy to me that the the governments or the officials at that time couldn't differentiate between something very real like a war yeah. and something it was like fresh in the mind. That yeah, you lived yeah. In. No, you're like, right. It's, it's a really the, good the, point. the context of it is so it's frightening. Out of whack. But anyway, so that was um, what happened with the Hungarian. The, the golden team or um, the mighty Magyars um, largely never played together again. Is that right? They wow. they played a couple of times, but ultimately the team was aging. That was or the the, 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 yeah, it was kind of that's the end of uh, of that team kind of playing together. Only four of them returned in Sweden to the World Cup four years later, um, which is actually I got me thinking about this. I started looking up. Only seven of the twenty two that played in that final were in the final uh, were in the World Cup the following four years. Oh, really? Which made me think about like I'm sure it's something we'll come across, but longevity of players yeah. was much less then. No, definitely, absolutely. You think of someone like I'm guessing like Pele was probably one of the first who played in four World yeah. Cups. I mean, he, he got essentially kicked out of the tournament in '66, yeah. but he was present in four World Cups. That was absolutely unheard of. Yeah, like people just didn't do that. No, you're right. So yeah, only seven of the 22 that played that day played um, in four years later. Uh, the German West German players became instant heroes. But every one of them, every one of them, remained playing semi-pro in Germany, turning down multiple big offers uh, from Barcelona, Real Madrid, and the oh, you wow. know, the big teams. At that point, they were like, "No, we are setting our lives." I probably a lot to do with where West Germany sure. was at at that time, but every single one of them stayed semi-pro despite being world champions. Which I thought was nuts. Yeah. And then a little bit to finish. I thought this was really interesting. I couldn't find anything else that was similar to this. In 1990, after the downfall of the Iron Curtain, the German Football Association invited the surviving members of Hungary's 54 team to join celebrations for Fritz Walter's 70th birthday. Oh, that's lovely. That's a great This is great. I found a real cool quote. In the years that followed, both teams organised annual get-togethers for the 54 World Cup final. Grotsic, the Hungarian Mm -hmm. keeper, described as follows, I believe the friendship between the former Hungarian and German players can be called the world's most extraordinary. We met regularly over the years and decades, alternately in Hungary and then in Germany. I believe that friendships were formed not only by the sport, but that high regard for the human beings who also played a part in that day. Between us, such a relationship developed, which is unthinkable among national team players today. That's so heartwarming. Incredible, there is isn't it? goodness in the world. Right there. That is, that is perfect. I thought that was great. And that, my friend, 
is the end of the 1954 World Cup final. Well, what a note to end on. That has uh, left me feeling warm in my cockles. So <laughs> I thought you were going back towards the Wagdorf, mate, if I'm honest. <laughs> and on that lower note, we're going to leave it there. We could have finished on a high. Yeah.